Hi guys, this is John McGann from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland and I'm here with my co-host Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain. Together we've created the podcast Control the Coronables, which includes some of the top players from around the world. Our objective is very simple. We want to be able to educate, entertain and energize the tennis community during this very difficult period that we're all going through. Hope you enjoy our next podcast. Welcome to episode 30 of Control the Controllables. We've had a lot of requests to get a Touring Futures Pro who could talk about the realities of, of that lower level of tennis. You know, much has been talked about recently about how money can get spread across across the game, across the men's game, the women's game, but also across the levels. And what we have today, we have Pete Bothwell. Pete was a career high 602 ATP and is in the last week has made the decision at the, at the tender age of 24 to retire from professional tennis. Pete trained at Soto Tennis Academy for the last eight years. He's someone who I'm very close to. Uh, I wasn't sure whether the podcast was going to work because we know each other so much. Um, but I have to commend Pete, the, the honest way that he spoke. We did press him a little bit throughout the podcast uh, to really try and get under the bonnet and, and fully understand why decisions have been made, but also the realities of playing on the Futures Tour and the difficulties that comes with that. Um, it's it's pretty raw. It's Pete speaks with emotion. Um, he speaks very openly, incredibly honestly, and and I hope you guys really enjoy uh, the the openness that he that he speaks with. There really is some amazing lessons in this podcast. Um, some real lessons. You know, this is the level that the majority of players that we would work with uh, are really striving towards, and and. Pete had a fantastically successful career relatively uh, within within our sport, and and I think you guys will will love it whether you're a coach, a player, uh, or or a parent, and and I hope you enjoy the show. Um, with no further ado, over to Pete Bothwell. Peter Bothwell, absolutely fantastic to have you on Control the Controllables. On behalf of myself and Dan, a big big thank you for coming on to our show today. Cheers, guys! Great to great to finally be here. I waited a I waited a while to be fair. Ev got on before me. Ali Collins got on the Insta live, so I took it's taken a while, but I'm here now, so I'm happy to be here. First, Big question, you. first question, Pete. Before before John introduces you, it sounds it sounds like your ego's been hit by you know you've been you've been waiting in the wings for a while, huh? Ah, look, it's fine. I've just been waiting patiently. There's no, there's no ego being hit here. Look, I'm just, I'm happy to have the opportunity to speak to you guys. That's good to have you, Pete. Pete, just for for the the listeners listening in, um, like to give a short profile on yourself. You've had a fabulous career, a career high ranking in singles of 602 ATP and, and singles and 447 in doubles. You're also a former Irish number one and an Irish Open champion. Um, you've recently decided uh, to retire. Um, tell us about it. Yeah, obviously, 
uh, about a week ago there, decided to, to start playing on tour. Uh, obviously a really difficult time for everyone right now. And it just kind of came around that I was just reflecting a lot on, on my playing career itself and the age I was now, what was happening with the current situation. And just really like I'd never just sat down and reflected on what I had achieved before, what I'd set out to do when I was 15, 16. And just loads of different little things just kind of, I just started to have the feeling that, that this was the time. And that feeling just grew a little bit stronger. And, and I think I heard a podcast the other day saying, like, when you feel it's time, you, when you feel it, like, that's it. That's when you know. And, and I, can't, I just really had that feeling towards the end. And, and I decided to, that that was the right decision. And obviously, Pete, is, it's, it's, it's potentially a bit of an emotional podcast, actually, because, you know, obviously I've been a, a big part of your, of your tennis for the last eight years, you know, have, as, as your coach, you know, and as the director of the academy, you know, as a subtle tennis player, and, and you really have, and I'll give you some compliments in the podcast, but I also plan on getting into you a little bit throughout it. Um, you know, you really do live and breathe everything that we've ever wanted at, at Soto Tennis. You've been, you've been the model student. You know, I'm very close to you. Being a part of <clears throat> pretty much all your decisions, and I think this is this is one that I felt you were potentially um in an R. But if I if I'm brutally honest, and I know we've talked on the phone, but we haven't haven't got into this side, so it is quite raw. You know, this this podcast. It, it did come out the blue a little bit for me because I felt I felt that you were starting to turn a few things around. You know, you did go through, you know, some difficulties at the end of last year, start of this year. You know, and it felt, you know, you got not the mental coach on board. You know, you were starting to really get your head in order. Um, is this something that you have been thinking about for a while? Yeah, like I think you make a couple of good points there. Obviously, last year I went on a really bad run of I think fifteen losses in a row. You know, I'd never witnessed or done anything like that before, and I I think I did turn things around. Like you said, got a got a life coach on board, learned a lot more mentally about the game, and I think I left. I was playing really good tennis actually before before the break, but it just came with the fact like. I think that gave me a lot of pride that I turned that around in that situation and learned a lot about myself and a lot about my tennis in that situation. And, and then just still speaking to the guy once a week and just on, on reflection, I just kind of just took the situation where it was now and how I felt. And, you know, when I look back, what I wanted to achieve, I definitely feel like I overachieved, you know, in a, in a way, because I didn't necessarily know professional tennis that well you know all I saw when I was a kid was Davis Cup yep. so my, my goals basically in juniors was I wanted to play Davis Cup I didn't really know much about pro life and and on and tour life you know no one from Northern Ireland had ever played on tour before I was the first guy ever to get an ATB ranking so I, I find it difficult I think looking at it that I had no one really that close to me or no one to follow or that that kind of guide in a, in a way when I was younger to to have maybe higher higher goals, so I think if I had someone like that growing up that was a little closer to me, it maybe would have seemed easier to attain those goals as such. So so that kind of started to play on my mind a little bit now, and I think then also the fact that you know 
coaching comes very naturally to me as well. You know, I really do enjoy that side of the game. And, I, and to be honest, I kind of, when I was reflecting even more, because I started thinking of what I'd done and, and I was happy where I was, I, I kind of feel like that, that drive to get back out there kind of started to leave me. And, and that's, what the, that's what then was like really tough to try to try find that feeling again that, you know, I'm fine to go traveling 35 weeks a year, whatever, sleep on, an, on a few airport floors. You know, I kind of I kind of lost that that drive. And I think that was that was probably another big factor in, in the decision. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I just think as you're talking and as a fellow Irishman, um, I can relate to you a lot, actually, because it's not easy actually coming from Ireland trying to play professional tennis, Pete. And it's a lot different to other, uh, you know, federations or countries. And what you've achieved, in my eyes, and as, a, as I say, a fellow Irish man, is phenomenal. You know, um, you, know you, you played Davis Cup. You've, you know, an, an Irish number one, uh, played on the tour for many, many years. I remember you as a young kid growing up here in Ireland as well with, with Stevie Nuge and Mick Nuge and, and, and on being on various junior squads. And like Dan says, I have, to, I have to shadow what Dan just said, an unbelievable ball of energy to be around and, um, you know, people transcend towards that. I certainly did when I met you first. Um, but it's not easy being on the tour on your own. And um, I suppose, you know, you being able to sustain that for, for the length of time you have, has, the, has it been difficult from a finance point of view to stay out there for, the, for such a... For, for such a long time um, has that been something yeah. that may have um, yeah, to touch on a few points there you know I think it is even more difficult coming from Ireland as well you know we've had some good players like Niall and McGee but you know I barely saw McGee I saw him once in five or six years so even that buzz to hit with him same with Connor I didn't really see Connor at all so I wasn't able, even able to hit with these guys when I was a junior growing up you know hmm. like Sam Barry I was close with Sam and he obviously went on to be a very good player. So I just, that, that's difficult. And then, yeah, obviously the financial side coming from Ireland, look, we only had one tournament per year. Uh, we had two, maybe a couple of years ago, two futures. And I know maybe when I was a lot younger, they used to have three or four tournaments and maybe a challenger back in like early 2000s. So I think it definitely got a little bit tougher maybe. And then obviously financially, yeah, look, I, my parents, I'm very grateful for the opportunities that my parents gave me and, and a lot of members in my local club at Downshire and Hillsborough, you know, they provided me with a lot of help. But, you know, obviously just Tennis Ireland can't, unfortunately can't, can't offer any financial help and that, that's just the situation it is. So, but like, I don't want to, I, I don't want the reason for me stopping to be a financial reason. You know, if, if I still had that drive and 100% commitment, yeah, look, maybe I don't play as many tournaments and I go spend a couple of weeks in Germany and I play two, three months of German league, you know, or I coach part-time and still play, you know? So I definitely think there's ways that way. I don't want the financial reason to be the main reason. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, it's, it's difficult, but I don't want that to be the main reason. I think it's more just that that drive just left me. Yeah, that's such good responsibility, Pete. I, I am going to drive you back in a minute to it, but it's, I am going to pick up on that last point that you've just made because... I think for a lot of players listening and, and, and coaches and um, parents, actually, I think it's very rare 
that somebody stops playing the sport and just is honest. And and that's that's the one thing that is has really kind of touched me the last and I, and I expected from you Pete you know the, the honesty that you've had all the way through and we've had these conversations a lot it's because people can't afford it it's because they've got an injury it's because they're not supported enough it's because you know because 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 and I think you you taking responsibility for that is massive because I, I'm a big believer that when you make bigger picture decisions, that then actually leads to quite easy decisions on a day-to-day basis. And, and from what I'm hearing about what you're saying, and obviously it's not the first time that I've, I've heard it because of, of the conversations that we continue to have, is you are now at the point where you don't feel you can make the bigger picture decision to, to throw your absolute world at being, at being a tennis player. So because of that, you'll then probably start to make the, 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 the small day-to-day decisions become harder. So whereas, was it a difficult decision for you to sleep on the floor at an airport the amount of times that you did it? No, it wasn't because your purpose was so strong, yeah. if, that, if that makes sense. And, and, and again, I, I have a lot of admiration for you for the fact that you've made that decision, the bigger picture decision before you started to stop taking care of the day-to-day decisions does that make sense yeah absolutely i think you touched on it there like the purpose you know if i if i if i'm really honest with myself and and i spoke to my parents about it and i said like do i feel like i can honestly be out there slogging it out for seven eight weeks in a row and just doing all all the stuff like let's be honest like future's life is not is not great like it's not pleasant it is really really tough and mentally Mentally, it's tough. So I, I think this period actually could be really good for some players that actually they can reflect on what they're doing and they can come back stronger. Unfortunately for me, I, I didn't find that drive again or I didn't find the want again. But I think having this opportunity will help a lot of players in a way as well. Because, you know, like it just, it's just week on week after week. And I think sometimes, and we've talked about it before, like I've never been good at sharing my thoughts and feelings, you know, it's always, it's always been on myself. You know, if I have a problem, I feel like it's weak going to someone else about it, which is good in a way that I want to handle it myself, but then also not because that can build up and it has built up over sometimes over the past couple of years. But yeah, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Being devil's advocate, being devil's advocate, I think it is good. This time period has been good in, in ways of people to reflect. But has it also made it easier for people to maybe fall into some decisions as well? And, and, and I think that would just be my one little devil's advocate piece on you. You know, and I think it's going to be really interesting how you feel in six, eight months when you do see people out there and you yeah. do see these results coming through because it's, it's a case of, yeah, back home. I think all tennis players have enjoyed this period back home. You know, I certainly would have welcomed it when I was a player to kind of have it. And it's been, you know, it's, it's nice that first, it's like a honeymoon period back at home. Everyone likes you for a while <laughs> because you've been away for so long. You know, and I think the second thing is then putting a few quid in your pocket. And, and, and all of a sudden you go to the bar and actually, hey, it's my round. You know, there's a bit of a twinkle in the old pocket when you, it's not just your keys. You know, there's a few coins. Mm-hmm. 
twinkling around, which which is tennis players. It's like I'm not even going to buy a lemonade because that's going to go to towards like that extra night staying away. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on it now or whether that's something to maybe reflect on over the next six months. No, I mean, like when we spoke just before, you, you did challenge me on that. And, and I was very open and I was doing a few hours coaching and getting a bit of cash in. And I just said, like, what a difference it feels like. It's like relief kind of. You know, you never feel like you have any money because it's always going towards your tennis. Um, look, yeah, I think at the start, when I, when I first came home, I fully, I fully was committed to going back out on tour, you know, and we were doing the online solo tennis work and, and that was great and stuff. But I, and then I just, and that's just when it started to change slightly. And I actually was, I thought about it the other day when Battle of the Brits came on. Now, I know there's a few better players on there, but you know I've seen a few guys in the past before, good friends with Lloyd and stuff, Peniston, I played Peniston in Futures and stuff. So I, I was actually thinking about when that came on, what my re- reaction was going to be. You know, if I, if I saw those guys playing, you know, was my reaction going to be, oh no, like, uh, oh no, what have I done? You yeah. know, and actually I've been watching quite a few of the matches and, and my, to be honest, my mindset has just completely shifted. You know, I was watching the tennis, but I was, I kind of felt like I was watching from, from a coach's point of view. So I actually didn't feel, which I think was, which was a good, and then it felt good because I felt like, yeah, okay, actually, I feel like I have made the right decision because I was watching what was happening on the court and I didn't necessarily get that buzz because my worry was if I watch it, I'm like, oh no, I've got the buzz to compete. Like I what's going on like I really want to get out there you know so that, that that's just kind of what happened really yeah it's it I think the other thing is as well Pete and, and you kind of said it at the beginning when you said at the start as an Irish tennis player I know one of the the big things for an Irish tennis player is to play Davis Cup I think that's like a you know one of our big things that okay, we're not in America, it's one of those things that, uh, or in the UK, like it's, it, it's more touchable that you can, you can almost get there. Do you think that when you, when you reach those sort of goals, so, so you became an ATP ranked player, you, you, know, you became a Davis Cup player, you became the number one in Ireland, do you, do you think then, if you had a setback, or I'm, again, I'm just talking to you openly on this one, but I certainly found when I got on to play Davis Cup, and reach them kind of goals that after that I felt a little bit lost and I was wondering like why am I out here why am I playing now or whatever I was 800 something in the world but um, do you think that was something as well and um, like did you have any aspirations to let's say play Wimbledon or play Grand Slam tennis was yeah look like I look the one slam I wanted to play was obviously Wimbledon I think Look, going back when I first got on the team, I didn't. I, when I first made the team, what five or six years ago, I didn't play a match, and I was like, when I went back to base, I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not gonna get right, right, uh, high enough rank that I'm gonna play, you know. And then I played number two, then I played number one. So I think, you know, and the ranking there, I think at times, like when I got my first point yeah I maybe relaxed a little bit and didn't push on because I didn't I didn't have that confidence in myself and I think it's always something I look back on that I needed a bit be a little bit more selfish yeah I've always been a pretty good team player and love team aspect in sport and played rugby till I was 17 and everything to that side but tennis you need to be a little bit selfish and at times I don't think I was which held me back a little bit 
So I think I look back now and think when I first got my point, I didn't push on straight away well enough. When I got to a thousand, which was kind of like another goal, same thing happened. I got comfortable at that and I didn't push on well enough. Same thing happened when I was, now I changed a little bit when I won the futures and got up to maybe 650, then I got injured. So that, that was tough. But kind of same thing happened before that when I got to 750. It was like, yeah, and I just got comfortable at, the, at that level where I think sometimes I lack that drive to, yeah, you got that, you hit that goal, but then it's straight on to the next one. Where I, and, and that's something I look back on and I'm a bit upset with myself that because I always did put in such a shift, but I felt comfortable at that level where maybe I could have gone up the rankings a little bit higher if I had that drive continuously. Yeah. So. How, how much of that is... So if I think about like a Liam Brody, I think about guys that had a really high junior ranking. Yeah. Evan, Evan as well, you know, at the Evan Hoyt at the academy. Yeah. It, it, because they had a high junior ranking, they they had a real sense of belonging. It always feels at the, the tournament, and that's that's one thing. Just similar to what I think what you're touching on there. I think you've been a little bit tough on yourself. Pete, I'm not yeah. sure that it was necessarily a relaxation, but I I never quite felt that you easily got a sense of belonging. You know, you almost had to work for every bit of reputation, every bit of feeling comfortable at tournaments. And, yeah. and obviously you did do that. And then you, you got to one stage and then it, you yeah. kind of got used to that for a bit. And then, okay, I'm comfortable. And then, and then I go again. How much of, it, of that do you think is down to, let's say, you not necessarily having much of a junior ranking or exposure to that international level? Yeah, I think it's a really good point, to be honest, because, you know, I didn't have that feeling of juniors are playing Grand Slams or having that one or feeling comfortable. I, I think it's just a really good point. You know, I got to, I don't know, 500 in juniors or something, playing a few events and never played higher than a grade four. So I never, I think it's a really good point. Like, I never felt like I probably felt like I belonged at times you know I remember like first going to a couple of bigger futures and then just being around the guys and asked the guy, asking guys to hit you know it was quite it was quite difficult for me because I wasn't sure if I was good enough you know there was always that doubt and we always talked about it and then when I went to my first couple of challengers you know I had the same I had the same doubts in my mind you know was I good enough to be here which I think which I think is difficult Three of my most emotional moments as a coach yeah. have been linked to you. And, and again, we've, you know, yet we're on a podcast and, you know, but if, if people want to hear the, the kind of insides and outs, I don't know. But the first one was Frinton. And I remember driving about 44 hours across country to, to come and watch you play in Frinton. Um, yeah. And with Jimmy Nelson and you won your first point and ATP point. And it was just like, and this is again for people listening and, and for the, pe the people listening to the Pete Bothwell story. This was you at 19 years old or whatever it was, picking up your first ATP point. I felt like you'd won Wimbledon. <laughs> it, it, I mean, there was, a more, there was a feeling of like, oh my goodness, what an achievement, you know? And then again, this is where I think you've been a bit hard on yourself. The next one was only two and a half years later or so, was and I don't know if you remember it, but again, it was it often was me driving miles and miles to see you somewhere, and I drove four and a half hours uh, uh, to Almeria to watch you play. And you and you played an unbelievable tennis match to to win your, your semi-finals to make it to your first Futures final. 
And I, and I remember walking off with you and genuinely had tears in my eyes of like, this is unbelievable. You know, this little, this little lad from Northern Ireland who, you know, hit it to his backhand twice and you've kind of won the point to be honest I mean that's kind of that's kind of how it was is is now in the final event of a, of a futures event and, and and I guess that the raw bit then for me Pete is you were someone who got used to a level yeah. and 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 I think that the, my one concern is is because I did have absolute belief in you then going to, to further levels, but I think you're a slow burner, and I think a lot of tennis yeah. players are, you know. And I think it, it taken time, and, and I think this is, but this is the real issue with our sport, is is how does a Pete Bothwell stay in the sport? How does it? I'm not, it's not necessarily about money, but we spoke to Sam Koreshi, and he said he didn't feel comfortable until he was 30 years old, didn't feel comfortable in his skin playing playing international level tournaments until he was 30 years old it it takes time it takes and i think we're we're in a culture in the uk and ireland where we almost expect it to be happening a little bit too soon and 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 i guess i'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here but it's it brings us maybe into a, into the bigger point of you know what are the what are the realities and the difficulties of someone who who is who is week in week out day in day out doing what you were doing and second question, how does tennis fix it? Tough, tough question. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, like, it, it was just a, it was just a day in, day out attitude. Like, I, I wasn't that good. Like, in the grand scheme of tennis, I was pretty poor, 17, 18, let's be honest. Like, you know, but when I, and I unfortunately didn't end up going to college in America because that was, that was going to be the first goal. When I went out to the academy, you guys were trying to help me go there. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then that didn't happen. You know, and we said, all right, look, let's play for a year, two years, see what happens. And, and then I picked up my point. And, I, you know, I remember it on the grass, like, well, like what a day. But, you know, I think, I, I think just hard work is, like, the most important thing for myself. Like, that's what got me to where I was. You know, hard work and just leaving it out there every time on the practice court and the match court. And, you know, I, I look back and I didn't play that many matches in my junior career. So when I first went out to Spain and playing local tournaments on the weekend, matches were tough. Like the level wasn't that high, but I didn't feel comfortable in matches because I, I wasn't used to playing them. You know, we used to talk about how good a trainer I used to be because that's what I was comfortable in. You know, I could absolutely rinse it in training for three and a half hours and I go out on the court. And it's just a completely different environment. So it took me a while to feel comfortable in that. And then I've got so comfortable in the match environment that I actually then started to not really enjoy training. And I just wanted to compete all the time. So I went for like a full circle, I feel, when I was at the academy. Can I jump um, in there, Pete? Yeah. If you had gone to college, do you think your journey would have been different? No, I, no, I don't think so. Uh, it's, it's tough to know. Like if I went to the right university, and I was, I was getting good, good individual work with lots of matches. I don't see why not. Like, I remember my dad saying to me when I was 18, he was like, look, you, you, you know you're a few years behind. You, you've, got, you've got to just take the first two or three years as like you're in college. So, so there was no pressure from me from my parents in that, in that situation. You know, my dad 
just said to me, look, you're going to lose, a, you're going to lose a lot of matches and you're going to have to learn. And that's what I guess my first two or three years on tour, I took it kind of like I was at college. And, and that was the mindset that I had that I was just learning. I just watched, I remember traveling, you know, with yourself, Josh Lloyd, you know, they were, they were a level above me for sure at the start, but I used to just practice with them every day. I, I was happy to be what was known as like the bitch hit. So whatever, losing qualities and just, get on the practice court as much as I wanted to and just get as many hits as I could in before the next match, you know? And I just, and, and I just kept working and working and then, and, and that's what happened really. I just turned it around. But if you went to college, mm -hmm. you would have been 22 when you came out of college. You're only 24 now. And, yeah. and this is, this is my thing on this. And this is not, uh, I'm not just picking at you, Pete, here, because this, I, I want this to be a learning, actually. I, I want this to be, you know, a learning for people listening. If you do skip the college part and you go on the tour, the one thing that the tour did and that for you, 18 to 22, it was an amazing experience. But because you weren't probably quite ready for it, you drained finance, yeah. one, and you also... You also it wears on you. It wears on you. The travel wears on you. Yeah. Whereas maybe going to college and coming out at 22, when you're ready to make quarterfinals, semifinals, finals of futures, you've saved up that money, you know, from where, yeah. wherever you're, whichever place that it's coming. And also it's a little bit fresher because you, for you, it probably feels like you've been on tour forever, but you're 20, oh. you're 24, you're a young pup, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's where, that's where I think the U.S. college bit is so important. And I think that's where subtly I've always felt you not getting to U.S. college maybe, maybe stopped you getting a little bit higher because I think I do genuinely believe your level could have got higher. And, yeah. and, and that's it's, it's not the be-all and end-all of life, what, you, what your ranking is. Do you know what I mean? So we're, yeah. we're talking hypothetically and it's, it's not the be-all and end-all. The most important thing, and as I've said to you, you're very happy, you're content, you know, you've given your absolute all, you know, you're in a great position, you're going to be an amazing coach, the next chapter is going to be great, and it's, 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 all, it's all fantastic. But I, but I just want to make the point on the U.S. college, and I don't know, I don't know if you have any thoughts yeah, on that. Yeah, I mean, like, 100% agree, for sure, you know, and I think you guys were spot on when I first went out there, I needed matches, and I needed to mature, you know, and, and I look back now and, and unfortunately, like I touched on earlier, I used to keep things to myself. And obviously the academy was in its earlier stages back then. Yeah. They didn't have the setup with school like they do now, which is class. So, you know, I was juggling training, whatever, 20 hours a week and just studying by myself for, for AS levels. And looking back now, I should have stopped and gone, okay, I actually need to go back to school for six months. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's where being, not speaking to anyone about it and being open about it hurt me. It hurt, it hurt my journey in tennis, you know? I've got no one else to blame but myself there. I needed to go back home and, and just keep my head down in the books for six months and then, and then get, that, get that scholarship because all my grades were fine until, my la, until one of my last exams and I just failed it because it, it all just got too much of me trying to travel for a few junior tournaments, train full time. So, you know, I, I look back on that and the environment in college as well with the team, getting to travel, everything like that, you know, maturity wise. And, and I, you made a good point. It does feel like I've played on tour for a while. The Futures Tour 
is not is not nice. You you don't want to be stuck in it for six or seven years, and that's probably what has hurt me now. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's 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 phenomenal listening to you, and it's <clears throat> taken me back to my own playing days when I when I finished college and getting getting back out there. But for the listeners that are listening in here, Pete, we've a lot of parents that listen in, a lot of younger players that listen in, a lot of play, people that probably don't understand the tour as much. You know, you've gone on, like you said, you've been an Irish number one. You're an Irish Open champion. You've made, you know, several titles, um, won several titles. But again, just for the parents and people that are listening in here to have an insight and an understanding of what it takes to stay out on the tour. I know when I was playing personally, it cost anything up from 2,000 euros to go to a, to a tennis tournament. Now, like you said, you didn't have much support in terms of, you know, sponsorship, federations, etc., putting that into you. Um, could you give us a little bit more insight of what that kind of, that cost w would have been for you when you were out there on the tour? Yeah, I mean, look, it just it depends roughly each week how far you're traveling. You know, first couple of years I played a lot in Spain, so it wasn't too difficult just get a long bus, get a train, so that co cost down. And, and actually playing in Spain and Portugal, you can, you can find cheap hostels, it's not too bad. It's just, you know, if you're trying to play a full calendar and you're traveling to the States or Asia, you know, then flights, everything like that's going to be more expensive. You know, I'd say it's probably 500 to 1,000 euros a week, more or less. You know, it depends if you, yeah. you know, and that's, that's just by yourself. If you want to bring a coach or you know share a coach you're still looking at maybe 250 euros on top of that everything and it so it just depends where you're staying if you know you can do an airbnb share a few share with a few guys then it's cheaper that way cook for yourself you're always trying to find little things you know i started traveling with a pro stringer for the last three years because yeah. it's like 10 10 to 20 euros for a restring every at every tournament so i mean i need two rackets fresh for every match you know, I'm not, ha unfortunately, I'm not handing in six or seven bats to the stringer by yeah. the board of the slam. So I'm, I'm grinding on the two fresh, uh, and, but that's it. But I'm cutting down more costs. So it's always, it's always about finding ways to cut the costs down. So when you're winning a $25,000 event, you're not actually taking home $25,000, are you? <laughs> it's funny because when I did, when I did win that 25K in Dublin, my mum got a text. And the tech said, that's great. Peter's won 25. That's brilliant. Yeah. Like, that's going to do so well for his tennis over the next couple of years. <laughs> and they robbed your house. And they robbed your house thinking they'll get it, you know? Yeah. No, no. I think, I think it's just, it's a good, it's a good, um, the reason I asked you that, um, Pete, is because I think it's important for people to understand when they say they want to go on the tour, yeah. what they're getting into. And I suppose one of the, the big advocates that we've had here in Ireland is, or sorry, one of the big beliefs that we've had, knowing what it, what, what, what it takes when you, when you actually do go out there. First of all, it, it is a very financially difficult. You have to do all these things that you're talking about for traveling, being on the road all the time. You've got to take a lot of hits, a lot of losses, spend a lot of time on your own. And not everybody has the money, like you said, to travel with uh, a professional coach all the time. And, and, and I just think the, the fact that we're doing this podcast, it's important for parents to, to understand this and where we're coming from, from the college route. Yeah. The, like Dan, in this day and age, it's a very, very important route for, for young kids coming up. 
um, to be able to have that type of uh, background uh, to, to behind them, education, and then maybe after that go out and, and, and go on the tour. But you know, I think on that as well, you know, like you touched on it there. Times on tour are so lonely, like like really, really lonely. There's nothing worse than losing first round in a tournament and just going back to your room. You're sharing with the guy from Russia who doesn't speak English. You just the Wi-Fi doesn't work in your room. Like it's crap, you know. Terrific. Like yeah. it re- like it really is c- compared to like being in a on a team with six or seven other guys all going for the same goal. You know which one would I want to go for? Like you know, and then you're more mature coming out and playing matches when you're so much tight after. That's also what I think. But the college system with the juice points, all that kind of stuff, you're going to be so match tight when you go out and just play regular matches. And that's what I see. Like the best guys in college, played a couple of them. When they come out, they're just so good under pressure because they've just, they've just learned from it. They've learned from mistakes, letting, letting their team down, whatever, or, or winning those big moments. And I think, I think that helps them a lot. You see a lot of the top college guys coming through, and, e- and even not the top ones. You know, guys that are pretty solid in college come through and they're winning, they're winning futures, going deep in futures straight away because they know how to win matches. Really what, good. Yeah, what's the, what's the benefit of having a, a traveling coach with you? Well, it's, it's just that you can get the work done daily. You know, in, instead of going to a tournament thinking, right, all the practice I've done is for this tournament. You know, when you're at tournaments, your goal is to still get better. You know, you can you you probably get more work or better work done on those weeks than you do just a base. You know, because you could be playing practice matches against better players, all this kind of stuff. And if you and I think just a coach watching your matches, you know, you could play a match and you're trying to evaluate the match yourself, and it's completely wrong just because you've been in the situation dealing with emotions, all that kind of stuff. You could be thinking that you've done this really well when actually you were playing the wrong tactic and it's just a lot easier, you know, if the match is recorded or the coach has done stats on the match, then you can just see that straight away. You know, and I think I've always been one, like when I've had a coach travel, I think, we, and we've touched on it before, like I struggle playing when there's like no one there and no atmosphere. So even just having one person in your corner, just to look at, shout at, like get the pump out to that, that, was really big for me and I, I always struggled when I was out there by myself and I had no one to look at you know I, I find that really difficult and, and, and on that Pete is is there in, in a general sense really is there the danger that players on the tour they almost save their pennies up to have a coach going for the odd week that when then the coach does go they then apply too much pressure to themselves Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the last tournament I played, that's exactly what happened. Because the, the week before, you know, the, the, the streak ended and I had Mike was there, the head of strength and conditioning. So like, he doesn't really know tennis, but he's just in my corner and he, he, you've told him a couple of things to say, whatever. But then obviously Nige came the week after and I was so determined to show the corner I turned, how well I was playing, what I was doing on the court, because I just won first round again, beating a good Spanish guy. And, and I was like, and I put so much pressure on myself saying, this is it, He's gonna, I'm going to put on a good match. And then I played awful, like, like absolutely off. I just didn't turn up because I, I didn't allow myself to compete. I was so caught up in my emotions of wanting to play well 
instead of just allowing myself to play well. No, very good. It's very, it's a very wise thing you're saying there, and, and wise reflection that I think a lot of players can learn from. Because I, I, I want to just say one quick thing, and then I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on maybe a, a couple more of those variables. It's, it's not realistic for many people to have a coach with them every single week. It just isn't. It's not. It's not realistic. So then, what we then find is, we find that players, coaches also aren't magic. You know, a coach can turn up for a week and the coach doesn't have magic. But in this sport, we know that it's a day in, day out, day in, day out sport. That's, that's, the, that's the nature of the sport. So my question is, is it possible in our sport to break through into, if we talk about breaking even, making money, top 200, Grand Slams. Is it possible to do that without a travelling, a consistent travelling coach, do you think? I think, it, I think it's difficult. Like, I really do think it's difficult. I think if you're... I think you have to be a pretty special human being to be able to apply yourself by on your own, day in, day out, and, and having... and being able to focus on the process all the time. To be honest, I think when you get to a certain level, you need you need to have a coach there, and I think having a coach there can can speed up the process as well. I, I think I, I think you can, but I think it's really really tough. You yeah. know, but then yeah. it's not. But then my next kind of point on that, which is also, I guess, I, I promise we're going to get into some more positive stuff. I, I think I don't want to just go down this kind of negative road, but I, I think they're, they're such real messages. And I think, and because I know that you're in, in a good mindset and I know it's early reflection, but I know you're in a good place. I think you sharing these are invaluable to people listening. Yeah. And, and, and because one of the other challenges then is, I think some players then just, our parents think, well, I'll just take any coach with me. Yeah, and, and and that's that's the thing. It's it's a coach who you're connected with, a coach who's on the same wavelength as you, uh, in terms of your game identity, a coach who you know understands how you work, you know, and that there's not many of them that you've probably built that relationship up with, you know, and then being able to afford that or do that or for the coach to be able to do you know do it in a way that it it doesn't cost so much. So I guess what I'm getting at is. There's the stresses. I want to just go through the stresses, the real stresses that yeah. you guys have on the tour, on the futures tour. You know, yeah. and, and obviously we've we've talked about financial stress. We've talked about then, I guess, pressure of of being on your own and the stress and the loneliness and the and the difficulty of that. We've talked about the coach. You know, you do get your pennies together to get a coach with you, and then maybe you feel, well, this is my week. I've got to really do it this week. What other stresses and difficulties are, are, are real that we need to bring into the forefront for people to start really understanding about our sport? Because there is conversations that need to happen, I believe, that, that need to stop and change the way that our sport runs. I mean, I think just looking after yourself mentally is so important. You know, you're out there by yourself four or five weeks in the middle of nowhere like it is just really, really difficult. You know, you're, you're making a lot of sacrifices. You're putting so much pressure on yourself to go out and perform. You know, some guys, it might be, they need to make quarterfinals this week or they can't afford the hotel. Yep. You know, you're always in with pressures. And, and it's so, I think 
it's so hard sometimes to play without thinking about these. You know, you know, for sure, a lot of guys are being held back because they they feel the pressure that they have to win this match to to pay for their ticket to get to the next tournament. Oh. Yeah, you know, I just it it just is really really difficult. I think being out there by yourself, it's just so demanding. It asks a lot of you about yourself, and you have to be a really really strong character. Like it is, it, it's like survival of the fittest. It's not for it is not for weak minded people at all. Really, you know, they get they get found out. I think. Do you think you experienced any mental health difficulties over the years? Well, yeah. Like when I when I went on that on that bad run, you know, we've talked about it before. I went to the states with a coach that, you know, I thought was going to help me, which which didn't happen. We didn't get on, and two weeks in, I felt like I was managing his life because there was so much crap going on there. Yeah. It was affecting me on the court, and and again, I, I was just stubborn. I thought that I was going to be strong enough to get through this by myself. And, and like four weeks in, my mum called me saying, what is wrong with you? Cause she like, and I didn't say anything, but she just knew that I wasn't the same person. So I was just dealing with all these pressures and it, and it just built up. Like we didn't have a good connection. We were arguing on the court. So all this adds up and, and that's what then put me on that, on that bad path to even when I came back and, and you said it as well, as I was just a different person on a, on a match court, you know, as soon as I went down, that was it. I just couldn't, I had no, I had no fight in me. And I, and I definitely, and I definitely went through a really, really difficult time. Like I can't tell anyone how tough it is losing 15 matches in a row. Yeah. Like I, it's just, it's, it's horrible, especially going onto the doubles court and kind of being a different person and winning doubles matches. Cause I was so determined not to let my partner down. So, but then it felt like I was letting myself down, which made me, which made me more upset. You know, like broke down a couple of times. I broke down in Mallorca at the start of the year with you after yeah. I lost in qualies again. I had to go out and play doubles final later that day. Yeah. I was with Johnny Gray, but like in my mind there was abs- like absolute. I wanted to smash all my rackets, yeah. and the only reason it didn't happen was because I wasn't going to let him down for doubles later that day. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, like we, we, we talked about it and I, and I asked you, I said, because you said, you know, I wasn't as chatty as I normally am, give, like throwing banter around, just having a bit of crack with the boys. Back in the apartment, I was just quiet, even had my hood up in the living room. You know, and I asked you, I said, like, I, I genuinely feel like I might be depressed. You know, I, I didn't know the feeling, but I had to ask you. And then, and then that's where it came about, then using a life coach, being more open, talking to someone. And that's the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. You know, I feel so open now, so honest talking about things and just ev- my everyday routines now, you know, writing in my diary every morning what I'm grateful for, the awareness of my feelings in the morning as I wake up. And then with the meditation, I'm like, it's, it's crazy how much it's helped me, you know? It's, it's... What, what, Dan, sorry, man. What a, what a warrior, man. What a warrior you are. Uh, I have to say that, man. It's just inspiring listening to you, man. You know, not to, it's not all about the winning. It's about how many cuts, how many hits that you can take and keep getting back up. I mean, that's unbelievable. For all the kids listening in on that, they look at you from the outset, man, and they think that, you know, you don't hurt, that you don't take any hits. Yeah. You know, unbelievable, man. And I saw you the other day on the court, and it was like we were back on court when you were a kid. Yeah, you were yeah. 
ball of energy of a, around, around everybody. Everybody loves being around you. Unbelievable. And listening to you talk about that so openly, what a warrior, man. Yeah, I, I mean, say, what a warrior. I remember, I remember talking to Stevie Nugent about it. And one thing I always, you know, I always respect anyone that's worked with me and, and put me on a good path. So I'm still really close with Steve now and Mick. And, and I met him for lunch. And I was like, man, I just, I don't know what's wrong. Like, I just, I'm training so hard. I'm probably training too hard that it's affecting me. And I just go on the court and I just I can't do anything. Like nothing works, you know? And he, he, uh, he told me, he was like, just wait. In two weeks time, you're going to win seven, six in the third. And, it, and it's going to happen. And it's going to be over like that. And, and what happened? Like two weeks later, second tournament in Portugal, 5-1 down the tie break. With all, with all this new like meditation visualization, boom, one, one seven, reeled off six points in a row. And he called me after and he just said, I told you, that's it. And, and hung up the phone, you know, because he knew he didn't want to say anymore because I, I was out there battling again tomorrow. And, and that was it. You know, I, I was back doing the daily job. I think it just, it got to a stage where my tennis was affecting me. You know, it was affecting me as a, as a person. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't being Pete Bothwell. I was, he was off somewhere else for, for two or three months, you know, and it was, it was really tough to take when I, when I went and I had to open up about it. Like, it was really tough. But, you know, getting, getting over that stage and what I've learned now and what hopefully I'll pass on to, to other players and parents and, and anyone listening, you know, I feel really proud of that and I feel like I can really help that way. No, absolutely, Pete. And I think, I think again, for people listening as well, it's like what a lot of people don't understand about tennis is how easy that happens. You know, I mean, you are, you are a class act as a, as a person, a class act as a, as a tennis player. And I know when I sat there and I analysed those 15 matches, there was, there was a match where before you went off to America, you went to America which was a difficult trip for you. So there were some difficulties that happened. So that was, that takes you up to eight. Yeah. You then, you then turned up not quite ready maybe for a tournament. That takes you to nine, but genuinely the next six matches, you played some great tennis. Oh, yeah. Five of the six, the six, yeah. five of the six, you know, you played some great tennis and, you know, put yourself in winning positions and didn't quite get over the line you know, against players, former top 100 players, against players 300 in the world. And this is, this is the reality of our sport. And it's like, in terms of the character that you've always shown, you know, and, and in terms of the life skills, because ultimately the number next to our name is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It feels, it feels, and this is to tennis players listening, to coaches working with players, it feels like it defines you, but it does not define you. Yeah. You know, what, what, what you guys are listening to here with what the way Pete's talking about this, the way he's reflected, I've been very close to it, the way you've turned everything around and you are going to have an unbelievably successful career life in whatever you do because of those amazing character traits that you have. And I, and I think it's a really important one for, for everyone to learn. When I, when I was on that streak as well and I, and I put in a few good performances and, and got into winning positions, because I, because I felt like I was training so hard I felt like I deserved it when looking back now you don't deserve anything you know I, I, I'm working this hard but there's someone out there that's got less opportunities than me and has has got less and they're working twice as hard as me you know like it's just and I think Pete and I think 
you know, some players do get entitled and, and they feel like, well, they're working pretty hard, so they should win. Yeah. Nothing. Like, you got to go out there and, and earn it on the day. If you, if you don't put it down on, on that day, you can lose to anyone. Like, absolutely, the way our sport works. It's, it's, not, it's not straightforward at all. Really good point, Pete. So, so your positive experiences. Um, Hopefully there's, there's a few more. No, there, there, there is, and there's, and there's been lots. And, I, and I'm also, this is a big thing that I say, it, and I, I, you've, you've heard all of my stuff, Pete. I've got nothing more. got nothing more to give, so you, you've heard it all. But this is also one of the things of tennis. I think the difficult experiences tend to be much higher than the, than the good experiences. And, and, and it's so important. And whenever anyone does anything, I always email the parents and I email ex-coaches and tell them, raise a glass of wine tonight because we have to cherish and we have to, we have to celebrate achievement because it doesn't come along that much in our sport. But what, what are standouts for you in terms of your experiences in this sport? Yeah, just, I mean, the main one for me, obviously, like I touched on, was putting on that green jersey. You know, yeah. I mean that that was like the be all and end all you know if i if i could just do that once yeah. and now all i could achieve in tennis i was i was going to be fine with that yeah you know so, and then and then being on top of that leading like leading the lineup in grade two you know playing like fred nielsen casper Rue, all these kind of guys class you, you know like i would never have thought i'd, ha I'd have those experiences at 16 17 playing like Rush through grade five ITF on a wet artificial grass court. Like, yeah. you know, no one, if you ask anyone in that tournament, they'd be like, yeah, good, good joke. You know, and then so that, but then individually, I mean, it's got to be winning the Irish Open. Yeah. You know, it was, I obviously made final a couple of years before in Spain where I was playing class and I played class in the final, but just came up against the Spanish guy that got yeah. to like 150, 160, is very, very solid. And, and yeah, but, yeah, I mean, just just winning the Irish Open, winning the twenty five k in in Dublin, like full crowd, not, nothing sweeter. I don't think you know. It still, still gives me goosebumps sometimes today thinking about it. No, absolutely, and and I, I have to say one of one of my also greatest moments is also pulling on the the green, the Irish jersey. You know, yeah. that was like it was, it was like being being there with you in Norway. You know, and having the the privilege of being in that locker room, of being on that bench. You know, I am a Keenan, you know, and I, yes, I'm proud to be English, but I, I'm also very, very proud of my Irish roots. You know, my dad would support Ireland over England, you know, in, in rugby. You know, be, that's very much how I've been brought up. And, and I think there's something really special you guys have. I really do. I think, I think the, the, the Irish... The, the pride of the Irish and the and the the feeling of it and it was it like I get goosebumps now thinking about it. It's what it's you know pulling that jersey on for me and and sitting there at the side of that court and seeing your performances throughout that weekend and just oh my god the excitement of it you know and I think I think you as a nation and, and you two obviously two two of my closest people in my world you know Irish tennis have got both of you. You know, and I think there's a, there's a lot of great people in Ireland. We've had a lot of we've had a lot of guests now, Irish guests as well, and 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 nothing would give me, you know, greater pleasure than to see you know you guys really turn an Irish tennis around because that 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 is strong. That that the colour green is strong, you know, and and not many not many nations have that to the same degree that you guys do. 
yeah, I mean, you definitely, I, I definitely felt that the first time I made the team as a rookie and it was actually class. I had Jimmy Delgado as the assistant back then. So the whole week, it, the whole week actually was class learning from him. He's always, you know him well. But, you know, being in that locker room, like I thought I knew nerves. Yeah. I can't like, like unbelievable. Like I was like getting so pumped on the side. Like I put my foot through like the advertising board. Because, like, I was just getting like, really more pumped than, like, Sam Barry was getting on the court, you know? And it's just, like, from then, like, it's actually a killer, like, that we didn't get to play a home tie. I think I would have been actually too buzzing that I, I probably couldn't hold the racket. But, but yeah, like, just that. I, I think, like, when, when we're in that locker room, like, we all would die out on that court before we walk off. You know, if it takes four and a half hours and we're bleeding out there, we're happy to do it. And I think, I, I think that's just like such a class feeling with just such, such a bond when it comes to Davis Cup and that, that group and that environment and culture we have in that locker room. Like, it's just world class. I love it. And, and Pete, do you think you, you'll, you'll keep playing tennis? I know you, you, you're done with the tour, but you, will yeah. you keep playing yourself? Or yeah, you absolutely. like absolutely. I mean, I've, I've spoken to Connor on it and he, he has... He has asked me, you know, if, if the opportunity is still there, will I be involved in Davis Cup? I said, come on, don't be silly. Like, if yeah. the opportunity is there, uh, yeah, of course I am. Of course I'm going to represent my country. You know, and I think I'll still, I'd still like to play some, some local tournaments as well because I think it's good for me to get out there and, and play against other players and juniors coming up to, to see what they're about, see what they've got. And, and even, even for them to see, you know, what I'm bringing to the court. And I think even as well, something as simple as some players just, just watching me, you know, there's, yeah. it, it's easy me telling some players, you know, this is how you need to behave. This is what your energy needs to be like, all these kind of things. But just saying like, okay, look, I'm going to play that. I'm going to play the Irish clothes as well. You play your match and I'm going to watch this. And then, and then you have to watch me after, yeah. and, and, you know, they can, they can maybe learn just as much, in that environment than, than just being on the practice court together. You know, I think they, they, they might even get a, um, a full view of you mauling me on court. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm taking that forehand battle cross court all day. <laughs> so, so Pete, what happens two years time, you're 26 years old, you play Davis Cup, you beat a couple of guys top 500, because <laughs> you finally chilled out, yeah. Okay, <laughs> you 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 take a few grand home winning, you know, taking down whoever the next Irish guy is. The ego starts to flow a little bit. Is the door open to ever coming back to play? I mean, I don't I don't know. What a tough question. <laughs> um, I, I I just can't I just can't answer that. Like if I. Um, if I if I play if I'm playing Davis Cup and I take someone out top two hundred like I mean I mean it's it's possible I don't know I don't know I can't, I just can't answer that you know I, I, I don't want to think about it you're not gonna do, you're not gonna do a Steve Redgrave on us he won his he won I think it was his fourth Olympics and his first thing he said when he when he finished the race he said if anyone sees me near a boat again shoot me. <laughs> Four years later, he won his fifth gold. 
I mean, I think it's tough because I'm, I mean, I'm still going to be involved in the sport. I'm not leaving the sport. I don't want to leave the sport. Tennis is, tennis is what I'm about. I mean, I, it's tough to say in two years time, if I'm playing really, really well, like maybe, who knows? You know, I just, you got, you got to be in the present moment and, and that's it. I'm just going to take every day, every day as it goes. You know, I've learned a few things from you over the years, so he's not good, getting ahead he? myself. He's good. And I, I can't have you on the podcast without asking you what Soto Tennis means to you. Just one word, family. That's it. You know, I just, like I've said to you, it, it, you're more than, more than just a tennis coach to me. You, you were a second father figure of me. You know, Rune's bringing me out back in the day. You know, he, he really, I, I owe a lot to him. He, he toughened me up massively. Yeah. You know, we talk about, like, weak mentality and stuff. Like, the amount of running I did around the tennis club because I couldn't make, like, 30 balls in a row is ridiculous. Like, honestly, the amount of times the guy beat me in Friday match play absolutely abusing me was incredible. <laughs> but, like, but that, built, that built me up to who I am today, you know? Like getting duffed by some guy who can't crack an egg on his forehand, you know that 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 made me. He made me mentally tough. I owe so much to him, and then just just everything everything with the academy. You know, such a close knit family. You know, I, what I love as well. You know, when someone has success, everyone feels it. Everyone's living that. You know, I, I could be on court with yourself, Nige, whoever, but. It's, we're all going for the same journey. And I, I think you do an unbelievable job of tennis is obviously an individual sport, but as a collective and together, you can all push each other. And I think it's one thing that is massively lacking back here. So individualized, you know, like trying to get two guys to practice together at the moment is, is so, I can't believe how difficult it is. You know, I don't, I don't understand. Like, you know, they just want individual work and yeah. it, like what I'm finding out, you know, it's so tough to be, trying to play, give them, like, hit a good ball to them. You're trying to see what they're doing, making sure they're doing the drill well, instead of just being at the back of the court with another guy and they're doing it together. And then, you know, both working together good. Like, and that, that's just the culture right there. I, it just baffles me. And it's something that the academy, like, when I think about it, and I think a lot of what, I'm, what I bring forward today and speak about today with the, the values of the academy is, is what I live off. You know, it, it's the academy has has made me the person I am today. So, yeah, I can, I'm just can't can never say thank you enough if that makes sense. No, it's not. Well, it's nice to hear, but you also don't need to because you you more than gave enough back to us. And and you know that's that as we talked about the these relationships, they work when there's a connection and they work when there's mutual benefit and yeah. and people. You know, and I think it's a big one for our game that mutual benefit doesn't have to come in the form of finance. You know, it, it comes, value is not just finance, you know, and, you know, what you have brought to Soto Tennis Academy over the last eight years, we could never bring in in, in monetary yeah. terms, you know, in, in terms of being, you know, the leader, you know, the cultural leader in terms of everything that you've done, you'll be a massive miss. We'll, we'll miss and I'm pleased that I had a chance to do it just before lockdown is, is watching your live score and, and how many seven, six and the thirds you've had. 
um, <laughs> and having pretty much the whole academy round the phone, you yeah. know, or or calling in if the coach is there or if I'm there and FaceTiming in so everybody can watch the last few points, you know, and that's that, those are the sort of things that you know money money can't buy, and that that's something that I know that we'll massively massively miss. I wish you'd won a few more two and twos, but I did I did enjoy those six and the thirds. Um, to, for you to then come on the podcast today, mate, I know that it is relatively raw still. And my 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 thought process behind this was I wanted to speak to you while it was, because yeah. I know. And I knew that you would you would have so many learnings for people, and that's you know as me and John have talked about for the last last three months. This has been about energizing people. It's been about educating people and entertaining people. And and as far as an educational piece goes, you've been an absolute star tonight, mate. So so everyone will benefit massively from hearing hearing it. So thank you very much. Yeah, I think even on that as well, I can't actually believe I left it out. I think the most important thing, and, and, it's, and it's what I'm taking forward into coaching, you, your first goal was to make me a better person. Yeah. You know? Everyone just gets carried away. Of, they want their players to do well and win matches. Like, you know, at the end of the day, you only, tennis is only a small part of your life, your career. And, and I think you did an unbelievable job of getting that over to me and, and everyone into the academy. You know, you're coaching a person to set them up for life, first of all. You know, and I think that that gets missed by quite a few coaches now. I think some coaches now feel they're more important than the player sometimes. So I think just, you know, people have got to be careful as well. And, and I think that's where connection is so important. Yeah. No, and, I, and it's nice to hear. And I think I just want to add into that as well for people listening. It doesn't mean you don't want to win. I think sometimes people... People think that, you know, trying to develop a better person can be a bit fluffy and it's, well, I'm not here to become a better person, I'm here to win. Well, actually, guess what? Become a better person, it gives you more chance of winning as well, you know, and, you know, having a better connection and being able to connect with your coaches, connect with your fitness coaches, connect with your practice partners. Guess what? If you're a good person, they'll work harder for you. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll be on the phone. They'll be watching you at two o'clock in the morning, you know, so, so parents, players get that bit right. You know, coaches get that bit right as well, because it all leads into, of course, trying to win more on the court, but then win more in life over, over the next 50, 60 years. Yeah, agreeing as well. And I think, I think in Soto as well, you know, the coaches set, set the environment, but it was up to us to 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 lead that, you know, and and there, and I and I know so many sessions when if someone if we're in a group and you know if me and Ev are in and we're in a group environment and people aren't giving it, you know, we know that you trust us that that we can we can have a go at them, you know, or you you ask us how was this player today, and it's like they didn't bring it, so 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 they they don't deserve that opportunity, and I and there's you know. Like everyone assumes that when I went to Soto, that I was just training with world class players and I trained with girls for like I don't know three and a half, four of the years, you know, like and and for probably about a year within that as well before Ev then came out after Lloyd left, I was just training with Simon and and guys that were just going off to college, you know. So I think there's like people are obsessed with playing against better players all the time you know I, you, you do need that obviously and it's really good 
to play matches against those kind of players that are a level above you. But no, you can train, you can train with anyone and get the work done. It's just, it's just a per excuse. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you've always been, you've always been self-driven, Pete. And I think really, really good, good players are self-driven. You know, they'll always find a way to manipulate the practice court. They'll always find a way to create energy. They'll always create a, you know, a good environment. That's what I've always found with good tennis players. And I think it's, it's an absolute must if you have any chance of uh, going out and having a knock on tour. Yeah. So fair play to you saying that. And I have yeah. to reiterate what you say because that's a, there is a big culture of that, particularly here in Ireland, of everybody looking to play with better players all the time. I don't know what it's like in Spain, Dan, or you know, other countries feel like don't work over there, but I just know that a lot of players are always constantly looking to play with better players. But um, what you just said there is, I think, massive. It has to be self-driven and, and from inside. Yeah, but people forget, like, you know, if, you're, if, if you think you're better than the person down the other end, well, that could have been you six, not six, nine months ago. Like, you know, I think people quickly forget where where they came from and, and the and the effect that can have on, on training with other with other partners, you know? I mean we've fallen into another another topic which is great because I think it's a good educational topic as well. It's it's a global issue. It is a global issue and it's a it's a global challenge for our sport and and, and I think the the thought process for me is there's lots of defining variables in, in our development, you know, as, as tennis players. However, there's no more defining variable than you, yourself. And, and, and that's, that's the bit for me. You know, if, if Pete, if you'd, you'd never complained once, for in, in eight years you didn't complain once about who you hit with. If you had at times, I would have listened and we, and we had conversations about it, you know, not complaints, but we had, we had our natural conversations about it because you were doing everything you could do, you know? And, and, and I think unless you're doing everything you can do, you don't have the right to ever, ever have that conversation or to ever. And there's too many people out there that are, that are, that are picking up on a, a variable that isn't the most important, that isn't the biggest mover of their tennis, you know, their, their attitude, all those things. And that's where the name of the podcast comes from and the controllables, you know, all of those controllables that are, that are linked into you, they are the defining piece. They are going to decide, you know, no one's not become a tennis player because of who they've hit with. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I genuinely believe that. I, I also believe no one's not become a tennis player because they've had the wrong coach to a degree. You know, it, it, it's, 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 it's over to, over to you. You've gone out there and you've, you've achieved what you've achieved. And, and I think it's a really nice message to finish the podcast on. Um, and like I say, Peter, uh, on, uh, in regards to the podcast, a massive, massive thank you. But I'd also like to say on the podcast, a big heartfelt thank you for myself and everybody at Soto Tennis for, for everything that you've, you've given you know, you, you, did you become a world-class tennis player? Not quite, but you, you gave world-class effort. You gave world-class focus. You gave world-class dedication every single day, you know, and, and because of that, you're a world-class person 
who who was a who was a fantastic fantastic tennis player and you're going to go on and do brilliant things so a big thank you and lots of sort of love from us all appreciate it thanks and, and, a, and a big and i have to say a big big thank you from everybody in ireland Pete, for for everything that you've done for irish tennis so far and like dan's already said it's going to be uh it's going to be great to have you into the coaching world and i'm looking forward to being on court with you and uh for you to be able to help the next generation of players coming up here in ireland massive thank you for coming on to our podcast pete appreciate it really really enjoyed the chat boys Thanks, Emil, for having and, me. And Pete, when you have that win in Davis Cup, mate, there's a space at the academy for you in a couple of years. So look forward <laughs> <to it. laughs> See you later, guys. Thanks a lot, Pete, for, for that. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, certainly lots to take from it. That's without a doubt. And, and we wish Pete the very best of luck in, in the next chapter of his life. Um, I'm, I'm sure here at Soccer Tennis and, and with John in, in Ireland, you'll still be a big part of, of what we do uh, in lots of different ways. Um, a big thank you for all of your support. Um, it is my plea, as always, if, you, if you're still listening at this point of the podcast, um, to like, to share to rate and review on iTunes. It helps get these messages out far and wide, and which is, which is what we want from these podcasts. Um, people seem to be thoroughly enjoying them, and we are loving bringing them together for you. So thank you for your support. Have a wonderful day wherever you are. And till next time, I'm Dan Kiernan, my co-host, John McGann. We are Control the Controllables.